Hi there! You're about to listen to a vintage episode of the Under the Microscope podcast. While the content is still as relevant and as interesting as when it was recorded, our webpage has changed. You can now find us at thesciencetalk.com slash real-scientist-nano. Welcome to Under the Microscope. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials and nanoscience who would be curating the RealSci underscore nano Twitter account. Hi everyone, today we have with us Said Rodriguez, who is a scientific group leader um, leading the group Interactive Photons at uh, a research institute in Amsterdam called Amolf. Um, hi Said, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great, and you? I'm good. R- looking forward to taking a deeper dive into your science and getting to know you as a scientist. So let's start by talking about your scientific journey so far. So please tell us about your scientific career so far. Right. So thank you for hosting me, first of all. Um, so I started uh, my journey in science, let's say, as a bachelor student in the U.S. Um, I had the childhood dream to become an astronaut. So I went to a study to an uh, aeronautical slash astronautical university in Florida, close to Cape Canaveral, called Embry-Riddle. Mm-hmm. I did my bachelor's there, and um, along the way, I ended up getting more exciting about light and quantum. So I decided to switch gears and go and do photonics. Um, mm-hmm. So I did an Erasmus Mundus master's program in photonics. Um, this was a consortium of five universities in uh, Europe, and I ended up going to Sweden uh kth and then i went to ghent in belgium mm-hmm. um and after my masters um i got uh, excited about a, a field uh, that is known as plasmonics uh, mm-hmm. that deals with uh, antennas that are very very tiny so nano antennas for light yeah so mm-hmm. and then i went to do a phd um at an AMOLF group, so the same institute where I work now, but this group was based in Eindhoven in the labs of uh, Philips Research. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were doing research on um, metallic nanoantennas for solid state lighting, uh, so applications to LEDs and these kinds of things. Um, after my PhD at uh, AMOLF and Philips and so on, then I moved on to France where I did a postdoc I switched gears again a bit, uh, going a bit more fundamental into topics of nonlinear and quantum optics um, mm-hmm. in, uh, yeah, in uh, the Center for Nanoscience and Nanotechnology. This is in the area of Paris. Mm-hmm. I got a Marie Curie Fellowship uh, to do that. Um, then I, so I was about two years and a half. Then I did a really short postdoc uh, because in the first month I got my offer at Amos. So I did a short postdoc in Utrecht. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got the offer to start a group uh, at Amos. That was this November will be four years from that. Um, and so, yeah, practically the last four years uh, I uh, 
been uh, starting my group and um, yeah, having uh, lots of fun with exploring yet a new uh, research direction uh, with respect to what I did before. Aha, uh -huh. okay, wow, that's quite, you're the definition of traveling scientist, that's what I see here, US, Sweden, France, Belgium, Belgium. now Netherlands, Netherlands. Yeah. Um, so yeah. if I may ask, where are you with this dream of being an astronaut, is it still one of your dreams or are you changing gears? Not anymore, yeah, Not anymore. so I mean, these days is the, the dreams for the billionaires, right? Now it's with the vessels oh. and these kind of guys, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, that was really inspirational for me as a child uh, in Mexico. You know, it seemed like, uh, you know, the stories of the astronauts uh, were always amazing, right? Of how they it changed their perspective of uh, life and the fragility of the earth. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, I... Yeah, I would still be excited to do that, but um, I don't think you need to go that far to appreciate the earth in which we live in anymore. Um, sure. And so, yeah, I think you just need to see what we are losing uh, already to appreciate what, what we still have. And uh, yeah, so I'm happy to, to just have fun here on, uh, on earth and try to, to look at the, at the small scales of things. Right, right. That that makes sense and beautifully said. Uh, definitely beautifully said. That let's appreciate what we have around us. We don't need to leave the earth to start appreciating the earth. Uh, that absolutely right. So you mentioned that uh, it will be soon four years since you started your independent uh, research group, Interactive Photons. Uh, yes. So your where does your current work fit in this big picture of materials and nanoscience? Because it's quite a broad field. So yes. where does it fit in? So we are mostly a physics group. Um, so we are driven by fundamental physics questions. Mm -hmm. um, but we use nanomaterials and nanoscience. So we look at uh, small scales, low energy physics, I would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so materials and nanotechnology is just an enabling technology for us. So we are not... Um, but there is also, um, you know, a, a kind of inspiration uh, from the ideas that we encounter during our explorations to also develop new sort of nanotechnologies and uh, devices and these kind of things. So we are also interested in that. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. That sounds good. So it, it sounds to me also that um, you have been involved in a lot of interesting research projects and you are also now doing a lot of interesting research projects. So if you have to pick one research project that you're most proud of, I know it's difficult because you're probably proud of most of your uh, projects and experiments. But if you have to pick one that you're most closest to your heart, let me put it that way. Uh, could you pick one and explain it to us in simple words in the section we call In Other Words? Yes. Yeah, so indeed, um, so there's a lot of things I feel proud of, but I am going to take the opportunity to focus on uh, a recent work that has been really um, uh, quite a journey of excitement for us. Um, and this work has to do with a phenomenon called stochastic resonance. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a phenomenon where 
a small amount of noise, or in some cases can be quite large, can actually um, improve the performance of certain systems, like in the context of information processing. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, is that the idea comes from actually from climate science. It was uh, coined in, in the 1981 or so. Um, so somebody was looking at the recurrence of ice ages uh, in the planets uh, that happens every 100,000 years or so. Mm -hmm. And someone proposed that um, if you combine a, so if you take the Earth as a nonlinear system and if you combine uh, periodic forcing from, uh, it has to do with the eccentricity of the, of the orbit uh, and noise in the solar radiation, then this could explain uh, the recurrence of ice ages. So it was tiny variations in the incoming solar radiation. Um, and, and then this sort of started a whole field of um, stochastic resonance where people have now found evidence for a wide variety of systems from plants and animals and mechanical systems and electrical systems and computing systems and you name it, uh, where noise can be beneficial, yeah? So for signal transmission, for um, um, all kinds of functionalities. And so we got quite interested in this and um, saw that there is a kind of um, paradox or a, a kind of a puzzle in this field in the sense that um, um, it's, it's a very, stochastic resonance is a very pervasive phenomenon, so you, found it all around us in nature, but mm -hmm. it's also a very fragile phenomenon. And mm -hmm. you can wonder how can something so fragile, meaning if you change the parameters a little bit from the sweet spot, it breaks down. You can wonder how something so fragile is so pervasive and universal. Um, and so in this work that I'm um, telling you about, we had the idea, okay, what happens when you assume that a system um, does not respond instantaneously, right? So I think the greatest myth in physics, uh, which we owe to Newton, is that systems respond instantaneously, right? He postulated the existence of instantaneous forces, and this came to be known as Newton's laws. But mm -hmm. fundamentally, they're wrong, because nothing, nothing in nature responds instantaneously. Mm -hmm. There's always a time delay. There's always um, a finite response time. And so Newton's laws are a good approximation for many systems, but mm -hmm. in many cases they're not. Right. And so we lifted that approximation and we did some experiments with, um, in a nutshell, two mirrors, a micrometer apart, and a drop of olive oil, uh, no, macadamia oil, and this one in between. Okay. And then we shined the laser and we did this whole stochastic resonance experiment. And we found that if you allow. Wait, you, you put oil. We put what? macadamia oil, yes. Okay, uh, go on, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so this, is, this, is, this was another uh, sort of uh, interesting twist to our research. Um, so we, we like to make photons interact. For a stochastic resonance requires something that is called a nonlinear response. Mm -hmm. And in optics, that corresponds to photons effectively interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. And that requires a nonlinear material, um, which in our case is this macadamia oil. Okay. So, <laughs> crazy. That's crazy. Please go on. <laughs> yeah. So, 
a few years ago, yeah, you know, when we said we're gonna put olive oil, we started with olive oil, uh, and you know, people were really kind of laughing, and I mean, just. But then the interesting physics started to come out, and you know, it's one of those things that first you laugh, and then you think. <laughs> Actually, uh, it makes sense, and it works. <laughs> that, was, that was for us the the journey. Uh -huh. So so we had this um, idea to to get these interactions from these oils. And, um, right. and then we did the stochastic resonance experiment and found um, a, a really compelling explanation uh, to the robustness of stochastic resonance in terms of uh, non-instantaneous response. So meaning you push a system and it takes a little while to, to respond. Mm -hmm. And in our case, the push is with lights. And the response has to do with um, how the refractive index uh, of this oil uh, changes with time. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's okay. that's the uh, that's the experiment. So I will be telling more about this experiment during the week. Uh, we okay. published the paper um, recently, uh, a few months ago. Well, what was the title? <laughs> Ooh, it's a very long title. Yeah, please tell me there is the oil in the title. Please tell me you, you came up with a quirky title like oil, science with oil or something like that. Please tell me Fortunately, that. Fortunately, I don't think we have oil in the title because oh, we already, God. so this was the fight with the referees that we already had another paper. Um, so it was in the same journal in the physical review letters. Right. And we, last year we had another paper there where really the focus was on the oil. Uh, but it was olive oil. We changed the oil for some practical reasons, not so relevant to the physics. But then, yeah, we didn't want to. Yeah, we. Yeah, the, the focus was no longer on the oil, but rather on the on the physics. Um, you missed an opportunity there. Please tell me there was a press release, or there will be a press of release. Of course, there were. There was a press release, and there were like uh, ten different news. We were in the BBC. We were in Yahoo, in Popular Mechanics. It was all over the place. <laughs> uh, of how basically, uh, so the first title of the, our paper is called um, uh, Universal Scaling in the Dynamic Aesthetics and Non-Markovian Dynamics of a Tunable Optical Cavity. Okay. So there's no oil there, but we wrote, you know, there is a universal scaling, so uh, relation. You and did so, go a little bit uh, quirky there. <laughs> so people people were, were like, wow, there is a new universal law of physics discovered <laughs> thanks to a drop of olive oil, right? That was the, the catchy title. And yeah. <laughs> it went all over the place. Um, right. Yeah, we were uh, quite excited with this. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this more recent paper I was telling you about, about stochastic resonance, which is this um, noise-assisted uh, signal transmission. This was also um, in a lot of uh, news uh, outlets. Um, yeah, received mm -hmm. a lot of coverage. Mm -hmm. um, Can imagine, yeah. Because it, it was it was really like uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you just put a macadamia oil drop in between two mirrors, and then all this exciting physics came out, right? It's amazing. <laughs> it's like it's it's so cool. It's so quirky and so cool. I can imagine why you picked this as one of the projects, let's say, that you're most proud of, or the one that is close to your heart, because it's definitely. I mean, from a scientific point of view, it's amazing, and also from the fun and quirkiness point of view, also, it's quite a lot of fun. Uh, yes. like with olive oil or macadamia oil. Oh, to give so you the cool. title of this 
paper, just to answer your question, is this paper I was talking about is called Extremely Broadband Stochastic Resonance of Light and mm -hmm. Enhanced Energy Harvesting Enabled by Memory Effects in the Nonlinear Response. Okay. It's a long title, um, but it does reflect two things I want to talk about. So stochastic resonance and energy harvesting. Right. Uh, Right. Yeah. yeah, with oil. With oil. With oil, very important. <laughs> yeah. So That's yeah, we were, you know, we had all this debate about these different oils, and then at some point, one of the one of the perks of uh, doing this outreach is that um, I got I was contacted by uh, an uh, olive uh, uh, producer uh, in uh, Spain who is uh, also, you know, he has like this oil plantation and he's making olive oil. He was so amazed that he sent me a couple of olive oils uh, to test in the experiment. Of course, I had a lot of nice salads with them first. <laughs> you have to see how good the oil is, if it fits yes. in your experiment, of course, totally. And then, uh, and then we did, uh, some experiments as well. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. Well, uh, Seth, it definitely sounds to me that you love being, I uh, love the part of uh, the, the research aspect of being a scientist uh, but there are also other aspects to you being a scientist and perks of being scientists like getting olive oil bottles uh, which you can use for your salad uh, and also in your lab so um, other than the research uh, part itself like going to the lab doing experiments and all of that what else do you like about being a scientist um i think the 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 thing that I appreciate the most is the people I'm surrounded with. Um, so I think as a scientist, a scientist, we are surrounded usually by very um, creative, uh, driven, enthusiastic people um, that many are curiosity driven or they're technologically driven. But then the combination of those two is really powerful, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I really, I, I, I just love the environment, right? The, the space to, to think about new things and um, things that I find exciting. Um, so yeah, that was, that was another thing that I used to like before was traveling, but that's kind of changing now. That definitely changed. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I think just, you know, meeting all these, you know, different people and scientists from all, various parts in the world and interacting with them and it was really it really shaped me as a as a person and character um yeah okay um, and i i love the 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 science communication too the, the writing the papers the going to the presentation of my colleagues and presenting myself or uh, um probably i haven't said the the most exciting parts but um I think in a in a regular basis. So um, I think the by far the most exciting part is working with a, a motivated and talented students. Yeah, this is really a privilege that I enjoy very much. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have a student that is both motivated and talented, and sometimes I just go with them to the lab, not very often, but I go and and that's really a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. to think about things together and these kind of things yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay yeah that sounds that sounds really uh, um, 
really nice that you're surrounded by amazing people, not just your colleagues, but also your students and teammates. Uh, that's very, very important, I think. Yes. It's really, really uh, important in driving uh, the, yes. the research and you being a scientist. Absolutely. So speaking of students, uh, what advice would you either give to yourself if you were starting out today or to the students who are starting out now? What advice would you give? See, I, I struggle a bit with that question because it's so broad and of course there are so many different uh, characters and needs and uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to say. Um, in what topic or in what uh, area or in what level uh, of, yeah, would you encourage me to focus on? So, so let's say students, uh, master students, so to say, who is starting out their uh, scientific journey, scientific career, and they know that they want to stay in science, definitely. Uh, what advice would you give them? What do you think they should know or what kind of situations that they should prepare themselves for or what kind of attitude they should have? I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. Atti let's, okay. Attitude. Advice mm. in terms of attitude. Okay. Mm. So, so we have we have talked about the excitement and the, the fun aspect of doing science. Yeah. But there is also a very painful part for me that nobody prepared me for, and I just didn't realize before. And is the amount of rejection you have to deal with. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, for papers, this was never an issue because, you know, we had a paper and when we, we got the paper rejected, okay, we go to another journal and, okay, we got rejected, and then you go to another one and you go down the staircase, eventually it gets published, you know. Mm. I've never written a paper that was uh, never published. Some mm. papers took a long time, two years or whatever, or, but everything eventually got published, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, once you transition to a, a PI or a group leader, then you have to write grants. And there is just so much rejection for, I, I, I've had to endure so much rejection for reasons I cannot explain uh, and understand. Um, and, and these things never see the light of the world, right? Because there's not like a journal for failed grant proposals or anything like that. So, you know, I, I, you spend a tremendous amount of time, you know, crafting these proposals, fine tuning every single sentence, thinking of how it's going to be perceived by this and this person. And in the end, someone in the flip of a moment decides, no, this is not going to be funded. Mm -hmm. And when, yeah, I, you know, a lot of the sort of uh, young sort of group leaders, uh, assistant professors I talk to, I mean, this is really the, uh, the most painful part um, when you have to deal with uh, rejections regularly for reasons that um, you cannot understand. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I would say uh, the advice is um, learn how to deal with rejection uh, because if you want to stay in science, uh, unless you are really extremely talented and lucky because it's not just about being talented mm -hmm. you will have to deal with a lot of rejection and right. yeah it's it's just part of it um yeah 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Learn how to deal with rejections. And I, I, you already mentioned a very nice journal idea there, a journal of uh, rejected research proposals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this would be really uh, helpful. What it? happens to, so this is the point, right? I mean, we spend, we are scientists, we spend so much time writing and fine-tuning all these proposals that most of them never see the light of the, of the world. Mm. What happens to those ideas? Nothing, right? So, might as well publish them in, in some journal. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think the reason why that's difficult is because people have the hope that next time they will get it, right? Right. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> right. And that's that's why I think it hasn't happened. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe there can be like a time limit, right? After two years of submitting it to multiple agencies, if you still don't get it, then publish I, all the different. I used to crops. think that, but. This week I saw in Twitter the um, amazing story of a scientist in the U.S. who tried to get a grant 33 times, 33 without success. In the 34, she succeeded. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, that's a success story. She so was extremely that's... happy, right? And then, and then I was, you know, last week I was really upset and complaining about, you know, five uh, failures. <laughs> and I said, okay, <laughs> I think I have something to learn uh, from her about endurance and perseverance. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well said. I hope your research experience, other than the rejection part of the research proposal and rejection part, has been wonderful and will continue to be wonderful. However, yeah. if you have uh, three wishes to improve your research experience, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here, okay? Of course. Uh, <laughs> three wishes. Um, let's see. Well, I think the first one ties to the struggle that I was mentioning a moment ago. So base funding, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so currently we we do science on the basis of grants, but there is no base funding. So if we just ran out of luck, um, then yeah, there is nothing, right? So I think this, the current system is, makes it very difficult to have a con- sustained efforts uh, into a research direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the number one wish would be a base funding uh, mm-hmm. that that would have the certainty to always have at least one student. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm fortunate to have four, so you know I was complaining, but uh, I've also been fortunate in other areas. So, I, um, but yeah, I would I would be happy to have always a secure uh, um, base funding of at least a small number of students. Mm-hmm. That's no, mm-hmm. That would be wish number one. No, okay. Wish number two in this particular moment of time, um, we don't have any females in my group. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some before, but not now. And I'm really sad by that. I would really like to, my second wish would be really, really to have a, a, a female uh, in the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, we don't have positions, so it's just, it could only be interns, <laughs> right? So it's, when we had a, 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 last year, we had a fantastic uh, female student who really wanted to stay and do a PhD, but then I didn't get the grant and she had to leave. So, mm-hmm. so this is wish number two. Um, and um, let's see. Uh, I don't know if uh, I have uh, another one. Um, 
I think in terms of science, this is really my main two uh, wishes. Um, more olive oil, more coffee, more tea. Oil, more coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's always nice. Um, well, of course, I mean, the end of the pandemic, right? I mean, uh, I think this is a global wish uh, <laughs> uh, from uh, everyone. It does require uh, more people to get vaccinated. So if I can use my wish for something, it's uh, to ask everyone to please get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. That's, That's a good uh, one. Yeah, I, I wish, uh, yeah, to return to a more normal life. It's mm -hmm. never gonna be gonna be as before, but yeah, the end of the pandemic and that we can celebrate science in person again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think on a, I'm gonna squeeze in a fourth one very quickly. Uh, Go ahead. Just. Uh, I think uh, maybe a very general wish, this is not for myself, uh, um, but I wish um, people would take the, the, the climate crisis more seriously. Yeah, uh, not uh, only scientists, because I think most scientists do, but also politicians. I, I wish they would stop the, the, the facade, you know, of, pretending they're, you know, with small things and really take the bull by the horns and treat it like a crisis because that's what it is. Yeah, just like we have done with the corona pandemic, I think this level of urgency should be uh, um, felt in the in the climate crisis. In, uh, I mean, you're in Germany, right? And you, you just recently saw the effects of the floodings and so on. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's just the beginning, right? Um, we yeah. really need to to change many things big time. Uh, Absolutely. So that's my my squeezed in uh, wish, fourth wish. You get all the four. You get as many wishes as you want, of course. And <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, the base funding for if you had that base funding, you would be able to hire this female uh, student, right? Which yes. was your second wish. So yes. it all ties in together. And yeah. well, the end of the pandemic wish doesn't really count because, well, it's a global wish. It's so it's not said with. It's a global wish. So let's let's put your climate. Um, politicians and authorities taking climate crisis more seriously and dropping this facade, as you said, and taking solid steps in dealing with it. Because um, yes. now it's coming here. We are not we are not uh, that far away. The Western Europe, uh, yes. it's, it's coming. It's here. It's here. Uh, it's here. There is no like, ah, it's not our problem. It's not, ah, we are all safe. It's not, it's here. It's yeah. right here. So. Yeah, I hope I hope all all of your wishes come true. I mean that that is really really important. Um, Said it has been lovely speaking with you, learning uh, more about you as a scientist and your science as well. But before we let you go, one Thank last you. thing um, I want to talk to you about. I want to hear your thoughts about. Um, I mean, we did speak about a little bit about the pandemic. So the the, the year 2020 was quite something. And so far, year 2021 also is quite something. So what are your learnings from this uh, this pandemic? My learnings from the pandemic? Well, um, I think this kind of ties with the advice also um, that I could give to young people. Um, not that I'm old, but 
I'm not, no, you're not, not anymore. <laughs> not that young anymore. Younger, uh, let's just call them that. <laughs> yeah, younger, exactly. So yeah. adaptability is the greatest asset. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my number one lesson. Yeah. So we have to we have to learn how to adapt. Yeah. I think there was um, a so-called normal life before the pandemic, and then all the normals were crushed, right? All the expectations from employers, uh, from colleagues, about uh, from each other. Uh, I think uh, the pandemic has really taught us that we need to rethink uh, our expectations from others. Uh, time that uh, give people a space and time to uh, work from home if they can and yeah and uh, also yeah the pressures that sometimes come with science um, yeah we need to uh, moderate those um, mm -hmm. and um, yeah it's really we need to adapt I think that's the biggest lesson, right? Uh, things, uh, there's such a big air of uncertainty uh, over the, since 2020. And oh, so many preconceptions have just gone out the window. And yeah, I mean, if you uh, are one of those persons that are of high expectations and always want to, you know, things to be how they should be, um, then you are bound to disappointment and frustration. So okay. I think uh, this is my, my biggest lesson. Uh, moderate expectations, adaptability, and greater understanding towards uh, my colleagues and uh, peers and friends. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay. okay, thank you for sharing that. Uh, and on that positive note, uh, learnings, from the pandemic on that positive note. Uh, thank you very much for speaking with us. Eh? This has been wonderful and really thank looking you. forward to having you on Real Scientist Nano. Thank you. I very much uh, look forward uh, to curating the account and I uh, would also like to thank you personally for doing this uh, fantastic uh, outreach initiative and giving us uh, Real Scientists uh, a platform to, to get with each other in contact. Our pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Seth. Thank you for listening. To know more about us, please visit our website realscientistsnano.org and follow us on Twitter at realsci_nano.